Welcome to the International Order of the Golden Rule podcast series. OGR provides tools and resources to help independently owned funeral homes be exceptional. Kena has been publishing cremation trend research annually, uh, really for over 100 years since the association was founded. And then every few years, we do a, a consumer-based research topic that provides insights into how consumers are thinking and feeling about cremation. Hello and welcome. I am Gregory McClary, and this is the podcast series from Auto Golden Rule, a podcast by, for, and about the independent funeral home profession. Our theme this year is The Changing Consumer as we focus on how your business can develop and pivot with the needs of your customers. Today's guest is Barbara Chemist of the Cremation Association of North America. Barbara's organization support funeral homes, cemetery, crematories, industry suppliers, consultants, and students in their effort to bring more awareness to cremation. We are excited to welcome Barbara because her organization recently completed a consumer survey about cremation and the findings of very particular interest. The growth of cremation continued to rise so that it is important that we stay informed on this process and the needs of our customers. Let us get started and dive right into the questions that we have for Barbara. And Barbara, I welcome you wholeheartedly to be here today and take out of your time to share with us. Barbara, thank, tell us thank more, you, Gregory. Tell us more about Cana and the mission of your organization. Absolutely. Thank you, Gregory. It's so I'm so happy to be here with you on on the podcast. It's a wonderful opportunity to take about to talk about cremation and consumer attitudes toward cremation. Uh, but first, yes, Cana is 501c6 trade association with members primarily in North America, uh, US and Canada, but a few folks from all over the world. We have 3,500 members and the things all our members have in common is an interest in and dedication to best practices around cremation. So. As you mentioned in the description, we have student members, supplier members, consultants, but the majority of our members are practitioners, either uh, the businesses, the funeral homes, or cemeteries, or third-party crematories, or combinations thereof working throughout the land. And what we're best known for are two things, um, crematory operations training. We uh, launched our certification program back in 1983 and continue to train um, well over a thousand people a year, and um, and then also research. So Kena has been publishing cremation trend research annually, uh, really for over a hundred years since the association was founded. And then every few years we do a, a consumer-based research topic that provides insights into how consumers are thinking and feeling about cremation. Right. Good. Good. I um, I know you recently completed a consumer survey, and our, our audience that here at uh, the Order of Golden Rule is very interested in learning more of the results of this survey. So, what findings can you share with us uh, from this survey? Yeah, I'll I'll share a few highlights. Um, but first, a little bit of background. 
we, this was our cremation memorialization research. And what we wanted to ask consumers is after choosing cremation, so everyone we spoke to had already been involved in the decision to cremate and or had cremated remains in their household. We asked them, yes, why did you choose cremation? We love to ask that question. And uh, as, as often as we can just to try to benchmark and see how people's attitudes toward cremation may be changing. They're not changing. They're highly satisfied with their decision to cremate. The primary reason they reported choosing cremation was personal preference, family tradition, those kinds of things. Uh, the secondary reason was financial. And so that was interesting and validated by other industry research that's been revealed since the pandemic began, that um, cremation really is becoming the new tradition, the dominant form of disposition, however you want to look at it in the United States. And enough people have been cremating for, excuse me, enough consumers have, cho have been choosing cremation for long enough that now it's just what we do, right? It's just what we do. And, and the financial reason that a lot of of professionals funeral professionals think is the primary reason people are choosing cremation really kind of validates the decision like i want cremation because it's what we do and aren't i a smart consumer right for doing it so that was one interesting finding but that was kind of tangential so the the two goals of of this research the first was to quantify the number of cremated remains in households. In other words, to ask consumers, okay, we know you say for yourself what you want in the future, about half, half the people want to be scattered, about you know, a quarter of the people don't know what they want and don't want to talk about it, and the other quarter are kind of distributed between keeping in homes, you know, maybe going to cemeteries. We've known this or, or guessed this from previous research. So we wanted to see, is that what's really happening? Are really, you know, 40 to 50% of people after their death and that they've requested to be scattered, are their loved ones actually scattering them? And so one way we thought about determining that is how many pe people still have urns at home, <laughs> right? Because if they have urns at home, then they may have only scattered a, a portion. And the second goal was to determine attitudes toward that those urns and or keepsakes or jewelry, et cetera, at, at home. So we asked, uh, we, we did this research in US and Canada, but I'll focus on US results for this conversation. We asked um, 1,505 people between the ages of 18 and I, I can't remember what the upper end of that as as uh, I don't know that there was a limit on age. So 18 and over. And we determined that 26% of US households have at least one set of cremated remains in human, human. We asked a separate question about pet, and we'll close with that. Human ashes in their under their rooftop. Okay. 26%. That's a quarter of US households have a piece of jewelry, a keepsake, a full-size urn. And, and then we ask them what they have. We ask them how many. We ask them who those, you know, what relationship those people were to them. And so there's a there's a depth of information that's really exciting. Then we tried to determine, okay, 26% of what, right? What is what number does that equal? What's the real opportunity 
both for funeral directors, perhaps to sell urns to people who went home with temporary containers, but probably our primary audience is cemeteries, right? Cemeterians who, for whom cremation delays the decision for permanent placement of that urn <clears throat> or urns. And so what, what can this, what insight can this give cemeterians to, you know, to market to families and that kind of thing. So, and then it became hard because a quarter of U.S. households, that's fine, but it's a mix of keepsakes. It's a mix of, you know, jewelry and stuff. How many pieces of jewelry equal a person? I mean, right? How many times when you divide cremated remains, you know, to just you divide them however many ways the family wants. There's no, almost no limit, right? And so, so we decided to be very conservative and just look at the people who reported having full-size urns that are most likely to be placed in a cemetery. So this number could be larger, but that number equaled 21.9 million households in the wow. United States. Right. right. Yeah, it's a big number. So Barbara, I, and we do have some of our members that are uh, Canadians mm -hmm. as well as uh, American firms. What was uh, probably the most surprising thing out of your uh, survey, maybe that may be a joint thing or maybe different in America and Canada? Oh, um, that's a great question. And this research validated what we've known about our friends in Canada, our members and friends in Canada, is that they do cremation a lot better than we do in the United States. And by that, I mean, somehow the assumptions about cremation that, that we hold in the United States, that it's somehow direct cremation, this concept of direct cremation is a very American phenomenon, that services are divorced from disposition is, is pretty, you know, common here, but in, in Canada, there's a stronger connection to services and memorialization. So for example, the, the Canadian statistic is only, and remember Canada is about 10% of the US population. Okay, that's just a rule of thumb. And so we had 21.9 million. So if you think if, if the Canada is like the United States, that would be about like 2.2 million. Nope, they only have 1.6 million or a little less. 19% of Canadian households have jewelry, keepsakes, or even full, you know, the 1.6 million equals full-size urns. So there's a, a significant difference, um, a 7% difference between the US and Canada. And what does that mean? That means that more Canadian consumers are choosing to bury or inter and earn those, those cremated remains um, or permanently place them whichever the method. Another question, pet, pet cremations are growing at a very, very fast pace. And I even have been getting some calls on, you know, do you do pet cremation? So oh, why is this happening and, and, and what has changed that got people wanting to do that? And also, like I say, reaching out to the local funeral directors. Yeah, interesting. Well, I'll tell a story. I'll throw in some data from the survey. But I'll tell a story about that, too, because qu quantifying pet cremation and describing it is, is different than humans, because obviously we don't have death certificates, right? We don't know how many pet cremations happen anywhere in any given time period. There's really no way that I can 
conceive of, of quantifying that. And if any of your listeners have a suggestion, please contact me and I'd really be open to doing that. So in other words, you know, the way pet cremations work is, is primarily those cremations are arranged through the veterinary's office. So that's a distinct difference than humans. You don't go through your general practitioner's office to arrange your cremation. You go to a funeral home, a funeral provider every single time. But actually with pets, that's not the case. And so, and then you have three choices, right? If you're choosing cremation and one choice is very broad and sometimes the veterinarian presents it to the family as, do you want us to take care of it? Well, what does that mean? I may not know as a consumer what that means, but I'm grieving my pet. I know I, I know I don't want to bury this pet in my apartment complex's yard or or you know, I don't have a place to do that. So it's never occurred to me, yes, I want my veterinarian to take care of that. And so what does that actually mean? That probably means a communal cremation with multiple animals cremated at the same time and no ashes returned to the family. And of course, the other two options are a partitioned cremation. I'm getting really technical here, but imagine a larger chamber bricked, you know, with brick walls placed to separate the animals. And then one cremation process happens and each animal is placed in an urn or its own tray to cool first and then placed in an urn or a a private cremation and a private cremation is one animal in the chamber at a time. So there you go. Your listeners can uh, know the difference between the three options and really the private cremation and the communal cremation are the two most common choices because only certain crematories offer the partitioned based on their equipment type. So the statistic, actually, let me pull up that statistic about pets. So let me talk a little bit more and by time while I do that, I presented at the International Association of Pet Cemeteries and Crematories earlier this year. Yes, that means there's a, an association truly for everybody or two or three. Sure. And we had a really wonderful conversation because I know cremation. I know the technical aspects of it, that kind of thing, but I didn't really know the business aspects of pet cremation. So one, this is a long way of getting to one of an answer to your question about, you know, why has cremation grown? And the people there said it's just grown exponentially since the 80s and 90s. Before then, I mean, pet ownership has grown exponentially since the 80s and 90s. The concept of you know, pets being our children or we being pet parents to our to our pets, that didn't really exist in the 80s and 90s. We had close relationships with our pets, but but the this kind of you know multi-billion dollar business just you know wasn't quite the same as it as it is now. So it stands to reason that pet funeral services, pet cremation would go along with that. And then of course one major trend driving interest in cremation for humans is transience, meaning people are moving around more than they ever have before. And if you don't have, you know, I grew up in a rural area, big yard, our, all our pets were buried in that backyard. <laughs> right. And none of my family lives in that house anymore. I'm okay with that, of course, but you know, it, it does make you think if you know you're going to move around and you can't, and you want to take your pets with you, cremation provides that solution in a really interesting way. How should you? How should we, as say funeral homes, 
handled this with pet cremation more with our business? How can we, I guess, bring it into a part of our business when we have been traditional burials or we are cremation of human, but now we, we have the emphasis on pets. Should funeral homes be more aggressive or should they say, well, we'll leave it to somebody else? How should we handle that going forward? Yeah, I have a couple of tips for that. I don't, again, even the International Association of Pet Cemeteries and Cremation, Crematory, sorry, doesn't know the the exact numbers of of who's handling, you know, what percentage is vet- are veterinarians handling cremation or what percentage are, are in like independent funeral home, pet funeral homes or providers doing that. But anecdotally, from what I learned from, from talking to the board members of this association and the attendees at the convention is the 80-20 rule probably applies. 80% of pet cremations are probably handled by veterinarians and 20% or less by by private funeral homes. So as you think of the business opportunity, that's important to know. Your competition is actually not other funeral homes, right? Like it normally is with humans to get those calls. The competition is actually veterinarians who already have a long standing relationship with the, the the pet owner or pet parent, however you want to look at it. So crematories that serve veterinarians, sometimes the veterinarians own and run their own crematory. That's more and more common. Just as there's uh, consolidation happening in the human funeral home industry, the same is is happening in veterinarians, interestingly, and accountants. It's It's a big thing going on right now. This kind of yeah, larger firms um, acquiring and putting under one umbrella, smaller firms. So there are some big brands and uh, serving, you know, that are veterinary clinics. And sometimes they have deal on their own crematories, like I said, or may contract out. Now, of course, by statute in every state, a pet crematory, it has to be dedicated to pets and a human crematory dedicated to humans. It's worth saying, can't use the same machinery for both humans and pets by law. And so I think as a business opportunity, it's worth looking at, but it's, it's it requires some research. Are the veterinarians well-served and happy with their cremation provider right now? And if they own their own equipment, they're probably well-served and happy, but who knows? It's worth, you know, it's worth having a conversation. In urban areas, we tend to see more of these dedicated pet funeral homes, and they often are, um, I, I love seeing that, they often are kind of part of the the business of, uh, you know, like they're run by somebody with a human crematory. So if there's a house of brands, so to speak, that's marketing speak, right? And you've got your traditional funeral home and you may have a cremation society or an online presence, and then you have this pet cremation provider, that can be really great. And frankly, Gregory, as you yourself experienced, it can be a really wonderful way to bring families in to your funeral home. You serve them for their pet cremation. Possibly, you know, services are are still, are are possible of course, but, but are still somewhat rare. It's more merchandise sales and that kind of thing that as I understand it, channeling my new friends, members of the other association, that you can expect services for pets are often done on their own. You know, not they're not seeking perhaps a funeral home to do that. They can do that in their yard or in their in their home more more frequently, but not always. 
And so, you know, it is possible to create a business model around this because if you're serving their pets and then they have a human death and they're going to have a lot more pet deaths, right, than human deaths, presumably given relative lifespans, there is some recommendations back and forth and a trust that develops. So interesting, right? Right, right. I would say at a minimum, Gregory, though, like knowing who, you know, the just researching who the the pet cremation providers are in your area. So, so whether or not you want to go into that business or you're, you're just starting the research process, being able to give an expert referral and say, oh, I've talked to this person. They run a business that, you know, that I, I trust, consider using them when, when you get a phone call like that. That also helps build trust. So, oh, he helped me when I have, a, I'm more likely to call you back for advice when I have another death, human or pet. Right, right. So I I have, and I can remember when I started out, the cremation rate was very low. It has gone up, even in my area, some funeral directors are saying they're up from 50 to 75, even 85% cremation rate. So going forward in the future, where do you see and what do you expect from the, in the future of cremation as far as the rate? And, and, and I also got to kind of throw this question in there. Do the traditional burial see your organization as the enemy to their yeah. service? <laughs> or do you see the burial traditional burial enemy to your organization but what do you think the future holds for cremation that's a great question thanks for being candid and direct let's get into it i love it first of all i i don't think Kena has enemies our goal in our research is just to describe what's happening right how how can we make good business and and decisions in our life, we need good information to base those decisions on. We need to describe reality. We don't have an agenda to promote cremation. 100 years ago, we did. 100 years ago, when the cremation rate was below 1%, and Cana was founded by European immigrants, cemeterians, actually, trying to bring cremation to the United States, well, they were trying to persuade people to choose cremation for all. That's another conversation. But today, no, no one's trying to talk anyone into choosing cremation. We are a small staff. And if I wish I could take credit for the rising cremation rate, that would mean I'm I'm really great at my job, I guess, if that were my job. But really, we're just trying to keep up with consumers, right? And and their personal preference and what they're doing. So the to answer your your question, I'll try to minimize numbers since people are listening to this. But what's interesting is the first cremation took place in 1876. And it wasn't until nearly 100 years later, 1972, that the national cremation rate in the United States hit 5%. So imagine that, like if you're looking, if you're imagining a graph in your mind, that's a really long flat number from zero to 5%, 100 years. And then from 1972 to 2016, less than 50 years, we hit 50% nationally. That's a very steep growth curve, right? Right. And when we break it down, it looks like for 100 years, there were 3 million cremations during that 100-year period. 3 million cremations is a lot of cremations, but spread them out over a century, not that many. And then in the last um, 50 years, there were 27 million cremations. 
And basically every decade, so I'm, I'm not going to, you know, I'm trying to minimize numbers, but every decade, the number of cremations has doubled. Now, when you look at just overall cremation rate growth nationally or even at a state level, steady, predictable, one, one and a half, sometimes 2%, but usually averaging out to be one and a half percent per year. And I, I would hear funeral professionals say to me, wow, it just feels like it's doubled or tripled overnight. And of course, that's true, perhaps in your business, right? Maybe, again, that's driven by consumer preference, what they want. But looking big picture, no, it's been steady growth. I don't understand why it feels differently. Well, now I do. When you look at the last decade, twice as many cremations as the previous decade, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, and again, those are national numbers. But what we've also discovered is that cremation doesn't grow in a straight line. There's a rapid acceleration period, and then there, there's, a, a, there's slow growth, rapid acceleration, and then slow decline. And right now in the United States, the cremation rate is 57.5%. And no state, except for Mississippi, Mississippi is hovering at 29%. Every state is over 30%. But within a state, we know that because that, for some states, we have county data, that that range can be huge. So in, within New Jersey, for example, in rural western New Jersey, the cremation rate might, might be around 40%. On the coast, closer to New York City, on the shore rather, closer to New York City, upwards of 80% cremation. Those, that's what those businesses are experiencing. So this, I can talk national numbers, but that may have no reflection on what your business is doing. So it's important to know the national number, the state number, the trends that you can expect growth. Now, you also asked what can dis disrupt cremation growth, right? Is this, is this just going to go? Are we going to become like Japan, <clears throat> Japan and have, you know, one barrel a year and 99.9% cremation otherwise? That's the reality in Japan. They also have 100% memorialization. No one takes ashes home, interestingly. But uh, but the answer is no, there's no way. We're too diverse a country to have, you know, 100% cremation ever. Mathematically, we could expect everything to plateau nationally around 80%, but it's already above 80% in Las Vegas and Washington State and mm. still growing slowly, but still growing. It's growing slower in other areas. That's that's an interesting, you know, uh, there's some interesting reasons why that may be happening. But I'll tell you, when you said traditional burial, you probably meant embalmed, casketed, vaulted burial in a cemetery. Right. That is unlikely to disrupt cremation. That seems to be, based on our consumer research, what people are opting out of, that they don't want that. They want a, a focus on the life lived during the services and minimal disposition on this end. And there's about 11%, uh, again, according to our research, 11% of people who say that the environment or sustainability is a primary reason for choosing cremation. And we know that there's greener options than cremation. I mean, there's nothing greener than green burial, for example. And I think as cemeteries add green burial options and dedicated green burial cemeteries become more common, that that's what will slow down cremation is, is more green burial or environmentally motivated options. And I can also say that Body donation has slowed down cremation, plateaued cremation rates already in Arizona. 
just oh. around 70 percent so new forms of disposition will impact it yeah thank you our series this year is, is dealing with the ch changing consumer the attitude toward the deaf care and how we can uh, help loved ones during this most important time with your background and understanding what advice would you give regarding the changing consumer and cremation and, and i also looked at um, how we can raise the value in the service for cremation. Yeah. What, what would be your advice uh, oh. to be better servant to the, to the people? Oh, I love that question. Okay, I'm going to give a few pieces of advice. First of all, I want to acknowledge that funeral professionals have one of the hardest jobs that I can imagine. Um, I'm not a funeral professional. I'm an association person and a librarian. I came to this with more of a consumer mindset. And I am, I'm astonished. This is the only profession I can name that serves everybody without bias, without, you do house calls for goodness sake, right? You, you go where you are needed and you Maybe it starts with that need and, and removing the person who's died and then talking to the family. Maybe it's pre-planned, but you have to do all of these things. You walk into situations highly emotional, highly, uh, frankly, negative, right? Sad or, or distressing situations, and you're the expert and you're the oasis of calm. I've experienced it myself. I've seen it in many cases where it's like, oh, there's the sense of relief. The funeral director's here. We can make some decisions. We can we can move forward. And whether consumers can articulate that, they they're highly satisfied. And there's there's any number of studies out there, cremation or any form of disposition, they're highly satisfied with the services for funeral professionals provide. And I know <laughs> that, and I, I I feel bad because all through the pandemic we were banging pots and celebrating essential workers and no list of essential workers I saw ever included a funeral professional. So, and I, no funeral professional I ever talked to was, was mad about that. They were, y'all were fine doing the work kind of, be, you know, a little bit behind the scenes, but doing the work, you didn't want the accolades necessarily. And, and that's fine, but I want to acknowledge that's unfair. I see what you did and it's important. What you do is also hard because you have traditional families over here and you have consumers over here saying, what about this new thing? I want this new thing that isn't even legal in my state. Can you make that happen? Like you have to do it all. You right. have to do everything and know at least a little bit about it and talk to them about it. And so, you know, I just acknowledge how difficult that is and, but keep up the good work, keep doing it, keep serving the families and meeting them where they are. And that's fundamentally the answer to your question about how to bring services back to families. And the last, you know, I'll close with a little story about that. One of the uh, pieces of research we did a few years ago was, was focus groups. And we wanted to talk to women who had chosen cremation and we wanted a direct cremation group and a cremation with service group. And if you've ever participated in a focus group, you know, you hire somebody to populate those focus groups. And we told that company, Find us people who chose cremation and then did nothing and find us people who chose cremation and had services at the funeral home, right? Well, they came back to us and said, we can't populate the first group. We can't do it. We can't find anybody who chose cremation and did nothing because every 
potential focus group participant they talked about said, well, sure, I chose cremation, but we scattered in our backyard, or we had a, a, a special dinner, or we had a church service, but no, we didn't go to the funeral home, or we didn't go to the cemetery. My point being, our biases get in our ways, get in our way. Like we, we think, or we want them to do it our way um, in our, you know, and now I'm pretending to be part of <laughs> one of you, but I don't have a funeral home, but we, we want them to do it the way we, we've done other services. And sometimes they don't, they don't want that. They don't know what they want, which is, which is a frustrating and exciting opportunity. So, you know, that's my advice is keep, keep up the great work, be, be the expert, embrace that expertise that you offer and the solutions that you provide to grieving families. They need that. And then listen to, they don't know what they want. They're asking for cremation. They're still figuring out what that tradition looks like in their family for the most part. So, so continue to be that expert and help guide them. Okay, great, great. Barbara, you know, we could sit here and we can talk for hours and, and I could pick your brains, but you know, sometimes I hate to say it, it has to come to an end, but I, I just want to thank you so much. And it, it just was such an honor to, for you being here and such an honor for me to be able to talk with you today and just listen at what you have to say, because you have some valuable information and it, it has been so helpful to our audience. And I also ask our audience to take application to it. And I want to thank our audience for listening in today and having Barbara with us because we just want to keep you informed of the the changings that consumer are going through and so and it's it's an everyday change and so again Barbara I want to thank you for being with us I want to thank our audience for being with us and uh, look to talk with you again thanks again thanks Gregory it's truly my pleasure okay my pleasure too Thank you for listening to this episode of the OGR podcast series. For more ideas on how you can better serve the changing needs of your families, check out our other episodes at OGR.org slash library. That's OGR.org slash library. Or find us wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts.